Okay, Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came and said to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Peter. So as I said, today's our... Last, well, no, I didn't say this. Today is our last Sunday reflecting on the five, uh, our five core values as a church. Uh, these short statements, um, which you'll see on the, the big screens behind me, that attempt to capture the kind of disciples that we want to be as we love and follow Jesus. And as I said, it's our last Sunday together as one Billabong congregation. For t- almost 24 years, uh, a group of people have gathered somewhere in Canningvale, mostly on this site, although there were some years where we were elsewhere. And uh, we have gathered here to worship Jesus, to open his word, to be equipped and encouraged to promote him, to be his ambassadors in the world. And in a week's time, that's going to look slightly different. And the week after that, it's going to look slightly different. And so I wonder, how are you feeling about that? Maybe you're feeling excited. Maybe you're feeling nervous. It might depend a little on where you'll be in a couple of weeks' time. Maybe you're feeling hopeful. Maybe you're feeling disappointed. Uh, I think for me, I've felt emotions I, I didn't even know existed in the lead up to this moment, if I'm being honest. And, and I wonder if these emotions, these, these feelings are a little bit like what the disciples felt as they stood on that mountain that we just read about with Jesus as he commissioned them and said, go and make disciples. I wonder if they felt excited or nervous or a bit of both, ready, not ready, everything in between. Maybe you listened to uh, the Great Commission from Matthew 28 today that Kaya just read and, and thought, oh gosh, not this again. <laughs> We've spent a significant amount of time this year thinking about evangelism and disciple making and the Great Commission, go and make disciples. But God's word is so alive and, and these words have such rich encouragement and comfort and, and conviction and motivation for you and for me today. Even if you take away nothing that I have to say uh, today, none of my insights, or, but the Holy Spirit, but if the Holy Spirit highlights something that shifts your relationship with God just a little bit. And that's the power of his word. Even a few verses which we might be super familiar with. And so I want to stop this morning and, and bring what we're feeling this morning, allow us each to bring what we're feeling uh, before God 
whether that be about the change that's about to happen at the Billabong or about just other aspects of life, things going on in your family, your life, and, and just bring that before God and ask him to speak to us and ask him to meet with us this morning. Can we do that? Father, I thank you for this time together as a family, as a church family this morning. I thank you for your word, living sharper than a two-edged sword, able to speak into our lives as your spirit takes these words and molds them and shapes them and brings something to us that we haven't seen before and that we need to hear today. And I pray that we would, we would just... We would encounter you this morning, Lord Jesus, in your word, in this space, as we worship, as we give our attention to you, as we turn our eyes to you, Jesus, and look full in your wonderful face, that the things of earth would go strangely dim, all the other stuff would just become not as worrying and and burdensome as we thought it was in the light of your glory and your grace. So we come before you and ask that you would meet with us, that you would speak to us this morning in whatever way you want to do that. Come Holy Spirit. We desire an encounter with you this morning. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Can I just have that mic down a little bit? Otherwise I... Fear I'm going to shout your head off a bit too much. The Great Commission comes after a substantial time of learning and training and growing for the core group of Jesus' disciples, right? For two years, uh, they have spent time with Jesus and learned from him and apprenticed under him. So when Jesus gets to this point and says, go and make disciples, they're not left wondering, oh my gosh, how on earth do we do that? That's what he's modelled for them. This is what he's, that they've practised on short-term mission trips. This is what he's prepared them for. He's offered correction and advice as they've trained under him. But now he gives the command, right? The commission, make disciples. Now that's in Matthew's gospel. How many of you know there's four accounts of Jesus' life? There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in Mark's gospel, it says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Preach the gospel in Mark's gospel. Uh, um, make disciples in Matthew's. Now, there's not a conflict here, as if one passage says, do evangelism, and the other says, do discipleship. And it's like, well, how do those fit together? If you've been around the church for a while, these terms have grown meanings of their own, which is sometimes unhelpful. But... The Great Commissions in Mark and Matthew are one. They, they fit together. Uh, whether it says, go and make disciples or go and preach the gospel, together it means take the good news of Jesus to people who haven't heard and help them accept it so they'll become his disciples too. We mean the same thing in both places. And the commands in these passages the imperatives, if you know about anything about Greek, the do this commands are make disciples, preach the gospel, but they're each preceded with this tiny little word. 
Go. Everyone say, go. What image or scenario comes to mind for you when you think of the word go? What? Sorry? Run. Running race. Yep. Go. Yes. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Right? Anyone think of a green light? Right? Maybe a phrase that someone said to you, you said someone, go get him, cowboy. Let's uh, go home after a long day. It's like, oh, relief, go home. Maybe someone, you might hear someone say, go away. What's the, the common thread through all of these actions or images? Every one of them involves action and movement, right? None of them involve a, a staying. That's the opposite. Some of you would have we've heard teaching before that goes something like this when it comes to the Great Commission, this, this line in, I think it's verse 18. The imperative in the passage, that is the Greek word that has the imperative tense. If you know, think about English words like, let's say, write, as in writing. You've got writing, writer, written, write. Like all of those mean something slightly different, but with the same base word, write. Um, same kind of thing in the Greek, right? There's different tenses with different uh, uh, letters on the end to shift exactly what the, the tense is. And so these are, uh, in the, this is in the imperative tense, make disciples. That is the word that is like, this is the command, make disciples. But the words for go, baptize, and teach, go, make disciples, baptize, and and teach, these, them to do the same. These other three words are not imperatives, they're participles. Anybody heard this before? Baptizing and teaching, therefore, are, are the means by which we make disciples, right? So as we go and make disciples, in that process we will baptize people and we will teach them to follow Jesus, to, to obey the commands of Jesus. So far what I've said is accurate and correct teaching. But then you may have heard something like this. The Greek word for go should be translated as as you are going because it too is a participle, not an imperative, not a command. And so in engaging in making disciples, do it in your ordinary life. Don't change anything. As you are going, make disciples. But make disciples is the command. Anybody heard that? teaching in a podcast or something. I think a few of you probably have, because I'm pretty sure I've taught it here. I think. I may be wrong, but I think I have. The only problem with that teaching is that it's wrong. On the one hand, we should, yes, engage in making disciples in our everyday lives. And you have Colossians 4, which says, act wisely towards outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech be seasoned, always gracious, seasoned with salt, etc. In 1 Peter, he says, but in your hearts regard Christ as Lord, as the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks for a reason, the hope that is in you, right? So be prepared in everyday life to preach the gospel, to share the gospel. But correct translation of the Great Commission is not as you are going, and it doesn't therefore mean, well, just don't do anything different, but in your ordinary going about things, make disciples. The participle, I can go into a big, deep Greek lesson, but in short, the participle acts as an imperative, meaning go and make disciples is the command. You with me? 
<laughs> go and make disciples. We go to the lost. Of all of our five core values, we wrestled with how to put words to this one the most. Because every gospel-centered church has evangelism as one of their core values. It should be a given. We love the lost. We preach the gospel. We go make disciples. We bring people to Jesus. That's, that should, should be a given for people who love, who love Jesus and know him. However you want to word that, but the Great Commission includes this very specific instruction, which is so important for the church in the West and a church like ours, because our approach to reaching those who don't know Jesus, who to reaching the lost, has mostly for so long been come. Come to our thing. Come hear our message. Come along to our programs. And yet Jesus' command to us is not tell them to come, it's go. Even in our efforts to go, you may notice that our default position, because this is so ingrained for a whole bunch of reasons I won't go into, our default position is to go and start a program so we can invite them to come. Now, I'm a huge advocate for things like Alpha and other evangelistic efforts. Our team in two weeks' time, the Piara Waters crew are going to be starting Piara Waters campus with Alpha to invite people to come. I mean, uh, don't get me wrong, I think this is so important, but the success of these initiatives, the fruit of these, comes from disciples of Jesus who first choose to go to their friends and neighbours with a genuine love and desire to help them discover God's love. Starts with going. And so as billabongers, we go, we go to the lost. We respond to the command of Jesus to meet others where they're at. Preach the gospel. Walk them towards Jesus. One reason I would I often find this challenging to go to the lost is that I used to get really uncomfortable with that term, the lost. Because I'd be worried that it sounds like a judgment upon someone. You know, like those outside the kingdom, those who aren't believers, the lost. Does does anyone else feel that discomfort sometimes? Well, hang on, are we branding? Are we labeling? But think about what we're saying here. Just think about it for a second. Not labeling uh, the unworthy or the unrighteous. If someone is lost, just in the the general sense, if someone is lost, they're trying to find their way back home. That's what it means to be lost. If you're out in the woods and you take a wrong turn, uh uh-oh, I'm lost. How do I get back home again? I think I've been spending too much time with Americans at the woods. We don't talk about the woods here. It's the bush. You're out out in the woods. Love love you, Karen. Um, They're searching, someone who's lost is searching for home. But a friend of mine, a neighbor of mine, may not know that Jesus is their home. That's why they're lost. They're searching for home, they just don't know he has a name and a face yet. What we're saying is we need to go to where others are to show them the way we've been shown. That's it. It's not a labeling, oh, the lost. It's a, we want to help others find what we found. Not because we're better or right or special, but because we were lost and someone showed us the way. 
We found what we were looking for. We found what everyone is looking for. And there's this residual lostness in all of us who call ourselves Christians. It still exists to an extent. We still experience an element of this separation from God, this, this, this lostness. But we who are in Christ have also experienced what it is to be found, to be home. If you're here this morning, wherever you're at in your faith and you feel lost, Firstly, it means you're human, but we believe the cause of that lostness is sin. It's a heart turned away from God. It's humanity turned in on itself, as Augustine puts it. But here's the good news. Jesus is your home, and you need to do nothing except come to him with your sin and your brokenness and receive forgiveness. That applies to all of us every day. If you don't know Jesus this morning, whether you're here in this room, you're watching online, you don't call yourself a Christian. The invitation to you is indeed, come. That's not our invitation. Come to church, come to a program, come let us tell you. That's Jesus' invitation for you. Come to me. It's his invitation. Flaws and all. Here's the good news. He took your sin, that thing that separates you from God, creates that lostness in you. He took your sin and on the cross, he experienced the separation from God that you deserved. But then he rose to life so you could have new life in him. That means your sin is exchanged for his righteousness. How? By simply receiving it as a gift, a free gift. His invitation is come. I have a gift for you. Come, I have a gift for you. And that invitation continues on and on for each of us. Praise be to God. But for those of us in Christ who've received that invitation, received that gift, for those of us in Christ, it now comes together with a command, and that command is go. I want to highlight just a couple of things that just encouraged me and gripped me as I studied this afresh. Recently, starting with verse 16, it says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Notice that it's from, and then after that line, this is when he then goes on to issue the Great Commission, right? Notice that it's from the place of meeting with Jesus that we're sent to go into the world. They met with him and then they're sent. We can see from this verse, he's, he's told them to go. Prior to this, he's told them to go to a place where he would meet with them. He said, well, you need to come meet with me first on the mountain. I wonder, have you been trying to go and make disciples, go and preach the gospel because the Bible said so? Have you been trying to go and make disciples because I said so? Because we did a series on evangelism as so I think I better think about it, do it. Or because you've been meeting with Jesus and he said so. Because that's the only way it's going to play out in our lives in a, in a fruitful way is if we receive this for ourselves having met with Jesus. And he says to us personally by his spirit, Luke, Yoy, Ethan, I want you to go. Effective mission is always preceded by a genuine encounter with Jesus. Effective mission is always preceded by a genuine encounter with Jesus. 
maybe for the first step to grow in confidence, to, to deal with your fears around this, because we all have them, let's be honest. Maybe the first step is to spend that time with Jesus, to say, Jesus, I need your help with this. Jesus, I'm not good at this. He will speak to you. He will encourage you. He'll personally commission you to go. Secondly, the scripture says, they worshipped, but some doubted. Isn't this encouraging that he doesn't only say, go to the habit togethers, the bold and confident people, the ones who are going, yes, I'm on fire for you, Jesus. I'm so excited. What do you want me to do? He says it to the ones who go, uh, we're doubting right now. What's going on? He says, go to doubting disciples. Are you a doubting disciple? Here's his command for you. Wait until you've got it all together and your faith is on fire and then I'll tell you. No, 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 no. His command for you is the same as that person sitting next to you who's going, come on, let's do this. His command for you is go and make disciples. Go with others for sure. I mean, the other principle we pull out of this is that there was a mix there. Some worshipped and some were doubting. So we can go with others who might have a little less doubt than us and a little more faith, if you like, because he commissions them as a group after all. But the command is no different for the guys whose knees were shaking. Go. Go. Thirdly, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. This, this really struck, I have to say, this really struck me last week. We don't jump into this responsibility, this, this going to make disciples because Jesus is powerless and needs our help. He's more than able to do this. Hear those words again. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Have you thought about this? Authority over what? Authority over what? Yes. What are we talking here, Luke? Authority over nature? Yes. Authority over fear and anxiety? Yes. Authority over the weather? Yes. Authority over governments and over wars? Yes. Authority over my thing? Whatever my thing is? Yes. All authority. It's not, and it's not like it's some random unrelated statement. Jesus just kind of goes, hey, side note, guys, I've got all authority now after I died and, and rose again. I've got all authority now. But as for you guys, well, your job's to go and make disciples. Have fun with that. That's not, that's not what he's saying here. It's connected. He says, I've got all authority. And then what's the next word? Therefore, Go. There's a direct connection between the authority given to Jesus and his commissioning us to go and make disciples, to go and preach the gospel. And here's what that looks like. And if you take nothing else away from this message today, I pray you catch this. Let's keep reading. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I commanded. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, for those of you who haven't read what happens next or can't remember, remember there's four accounts of Jesus' life in the Scriptures and then there's just one 
of what happens next, right? The, the, the follow-up, the Jesus, uh, Jesus church continuing on and living out this great commission. Luke wrote the book of Acts, but let's just say Luke and Mark and John didn't exist. The sequel to the book of Matthew would be the book of Acts. It goes from Matthew 28 to Acts chapter 1 and then 2 and 3 and so on. And what happens in Acts chapter 1? Jesus blesses them and then he ascends to heaven. In other words, here's a summary of what happens in this scene. If we combine Matthew 28 and Acts chapter 1. Jesus says, go make disciples, um, um, baptize them in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And surely I will be with you always. Got to go. See you later. You, you get that? I will be with you always. I'm off. And I wonder... If some of us think that Jesus' words therefore mean something like your friend says to you when they can't make your birthday party, oh, I'm sorry, I can't make it, but I'll be with you in spirit. Which basically means I love you, but not enough to prioritize being with you. (laughs) Right? I'll be with you in spirit. Is that what Jesus means? I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. In spirit. No. In Acts chapter 2, the one he promised comes, and he, Jesus, is now with them always, not in spirit, but by his spirit. The spirit of Christ in them, with them leading them, helping them. And so here's the incredible reality about our going on this mission. He's got all authority and he's always with us. So what difference does that make? (laughs) All the difference. All authority, always with us. That makes all the difference, friends. It means that in any circumstance, any friendship, any interaction you have with someone, whatever you bring, whatever your evangelistic ability, however good you are with words, whatever your level of confidence, however holy or unholy or messed up or flawed your life is, Jesus can orchestrate things and he can make things happen and he can arrange circumstances and he can change minds and do miracles that help you. Ordinary, unsanctified you to lead someone into a saving relationship with Jesus. Some of you have experienced it and some of you are going, I, I want to believe it, but I just don't know. Is it, is it really true? Could, it, could, it, could I be involved in that? He has all authority and he's always with you. When I look back at my own walk with Jesus over the last almost 20 years, I think for, for so much of that time, my problem wasn't whether I was well enough equipped to preach the gospel or to disciple others towards Jesus. I think my biggest challenge is I just had too small of a view of the authority and power of Jesus, the one who by his spirit lives in me. Jesus looked, for example... He looked at a crowd of 5,000 men and their families. And then he looked at a young boy's five loaves of bread and two fish. And Jesus said, 
Yep, that'll do. Blessed it, multiplied it, and fed everyone with leftovers. So how much more can he take your humble attempt to go to the lost, to love them, to bring them to Jesus, and do what is impossible in your eyes? We can err in one of two ways, because like... The disciples, some of us worship and go, yes, amen, and other of us are doubting. Oh, I don't know, do I really believe this? So we can err in one of two ways with this. Firstly, we can choose to stay with Jesus. In other words, we're saved, we're safe. Why not just enjoy that? Let's just stay with Jesus. The other extreme, the other side of it, is we can err towards go, make disciples, on your own, in your own strength. You want to do what he says, you want to obey him, so you just try your best in your own effort. I've, I've heard on both sides, maybe you flip-flop between the two as well. But both of these approaches, this is what I felt the Lord say as I was preparing this, both of these approaches are an under-realization of grace. There, there are... I don't know another way to say that. It's taking God's grace and going, it's not really as good as he says it is. An under-realization of grace. So on the one hand, stay with Jesus. He saved me from my sin, but he's not made me good enough for the mission. Like his grace is good enough to save me and get me into heaven, but no more than that. So I'll just stay with Jesus. It's an under-realization of grace. The second uh, way we can err is, you know what? He's told me to do something, and if I don't obey, he might not be happy with me. So I'd better have a crack. I'd better go. I'd better go make disciples because he wants me to, and I've got to please him. But grace doesn't just save you from sin, and then that's it. And it doesn't get you to a point where you better prove yourself to God or he'll be grumpy with you. Both of those is an under-realization of grace. Friends, you are, if you're in Christ, you are fully forgiven, fully loved, fully accepted. Nothing more is required of you. He just wants to involve you in his great rescue mission. And even if you muck something up, he'll even use your failures to accomplish his good purposes. He might especially use your failures to accomplish his good purposes. So we can do a third option. We can go with Jesus. That's what he wants. Remember Moses, who met with God in the tent of meeting, his place of God's presence, and then God called him to go to a new place. And Moses said, if your presence does not go with me, do not send me up from here. His choice was, I'll go, but it's going with you, God. There's no other way. When Mo- that, was, that was Moses, and that's the approach we need to. In the coming weeks, I'll wrap up with this. In the coming weeks, a handful of billabongers take up the call to go to Piara Waters to form a new community, a new congregation. And then, and next Sunday afternoon, we'll gather in that suburb. We will meet with Jesus. We'll pray that his presence would go with them in that venture. They would go with Jesus. But I want to encourage us today not to think of this, this journey that we're on as the Piara Waters crew are the ones who are going 
The Canning Vale congregation are the ones who are staying because that's not true. We are all called to go into the places and the spaces that we work and play and study and live. And because Jesus has all authority, we can go with joy and with confidence and with great assurance of his grace and his love and his presence. And we can make disciples. His presence with us always as we do it. So let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have given us this great assurance of your presence with us every step of the way. And so we don't have to come to this command, this great commission, go and make disciples. We don't have to come to that with this fear and anxiety that if we muck it up, you'll be disappointed with us. We don't have to just stay safe in our, in our little bubble thinking, well, I'm, I'm not cut out for that. I'm not good enough for that. Lord, you call us in all of our imperfections, in all of our doubting, to step into the call you've placed on our lives, to be obedient, knowing that we will muck it up, we will get it wrong, but your grace is sufficient every step of the way. I pray, Lord Jesus, for the Piara Waters community of the Billabong who will be launched next week, that you would empower them by your Spirit to go, not just in Piara Waters, but to their friends, neighbours, colleagues, whoever you've called them to, to preach the gospel, to make disciples. I pray, Lord Jesus, for those who are part of Canning Vale in the weeks and months ahead that the mission of this church would continue from this place also, that you would send us to go to the lost with the love of Christ in our heart and with the encouragement and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, the presence of Christ in us, within us, leading us and guiding us, that we too would bring good news to those who are looking for their way home. We ask for your help in this, Lord Jesus. We need you. We are desperately in need of your love, your presence, the reminders of your grace and your truth in our lives. So we just want to meet with you now as we sing, as we worship you, whether we're full of faith or whether we're doubting right now. We just bring this moment before you. I ask you to meet with us.